0: Smith and Jones back for another week. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you, and we are in the thick of it in terms of the NBA playoffs. Lots going on across the association round two with Joel Embiid making his return to the lineup for the Philadelphia 76ers, and lo and behold, the 76ers go out and get a win and perhaps make a series of this against the Heat with Miami still leading two games to one and Luka Doncic having a pretty solid ball game. That said, it's Mr. Brunson who's been doing a lot of the damage for the Mavericks as now Dallas picks up a win. Their 2-1 in their series against the Suns. Lots to talk about, as I say, across the association in the playoffs, specifically Jonesy, but lots to touch on with the Raptors. As earlier in the week, we heard from both Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri, their end-of-the-year press conferences and availability with the media. Lots was said in those two separate press conferences. But also, one of the things that Masai Ujiri mentioned, And I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he pretty much laughed off any talk of, rumor of, the Los Angeles Lakers having interest in, supposed interest in Nick Nurse and Masai basically saying, yeah, i like to dream as well. But he did acknowledge that teams have reached out in regards to a number of Raptor assistants, and he also noted that the Raptors would never stand in the way of an assistant coach perhaps getting a chance at being a head coach in the league and Masai made note as well Jonesy of how well how successful so many black coaches were in the NBA this year and keyed in on that towards the end of his press conference and we find out in the last few days the Lakers may have actually expressed interest in Adrian Griffin and Griff may be the next head coach of the Lakers or a head coach in the league so lots to discuss as it relates to the Raptors to the Lakers, so Dan Wojcicki from the LA Times is going to join us later on in the show. Uh, we're going to hook up with Alvin Williams, as we always do, and we'll focus in on Canada basketball a little bit as well, with a big uh, summer coming up for the Canadians and for the Canadian program, both men and women, as Michael Bartlett will join us. So lots going on today, Jonesy, but I thought I might hit you out, out of the gate with uh, the rumors and the rumblings with uh, Adrian Griffin, and by the way, both he and Nick Nurse yesterday getting their honorary doctorate degrees with Concordia, so con- Congratulations and kudos to them, Doctor Griffin and Doctor Nurse.
1: Yeah, no, that's great, um, and I'm glad teams are expressing interest in Adrian Griffin. He's a terrific coach. I mean, you and I have had the absolute pleasure of interacting with him, and what a—I mean, we know that coaching is more than X's and O's, and and coaching in the NBA is being a leader of men and impacting lives and, and yeah, strategy and all of that, but getting buy-in. And that's something that we always talk about. And I don't know who wouldn't want to play for Adrian Griffin. My only thing is I'd love to see him get a head coaching job. I don't know if I want him to get the Laker job right now because they're not in a good place. They're not in a good state, Eric. And the other part of that too is, there are huge expectations attached and it's not like when nick nurse took over as head coach in toronto there were expectations but they they'd ramped up over 5 6 years and then the other part of that for for coach griffin is uh, he'd be dealing with lebron james and that's that's a tough animal to deal with it 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 really is especially as a as a you know first time head coach i'm not going to say young coach because He's been with Nick Nurse. He's been with Tom Thibodeau. He's been with Billy Donovan. Like he's Griffin. Adrian Griffin is. He is ready to be a head coach. Um, you know, and what we don't know is how many of his decisions Nick Nurse has been taking over the years, especially around the defense. So, uh, I, I. You know, I, I. I'm. I'm happy for Griff. I'm. I'm glad that you know he's getting these uh, looks and people thinking about him. But I just think the Laker job is a tough one right now. And again, I say. I say that with all due respect, because if anybody's going to go in there and do a good job, it's him. I do not have any issues with that, but I want him to go to a place where he can build, he can have a a timeline around some expectations to be successful. Not that if it doesn't work in a couple of years, they get rid of him. Like that's not, that's, that's not fair. And I'll say this to kind of piggyback on Masai's point. A lot of times black coaches don't get the same uh, opportunity. They, they, they don't get the same degree, degree, degree uh, modicum of, of patience that uh, white head coaches are given. Uh, it, it, look, we know it. Some white head coaches lose a job and walk right into another one. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Uh, you know, Sam Mitchell was coach of the year, really only had one head coaching job, and that was Toronto. He went to other places as an assistant uh, took over in Minnesota after, you know, the unfortunate circumstances around the death of Flip Saunders, but was never interviewed and given a head, another head coaching job. And the guy's a coach of the year, you know. So, I mean, look at what Earl Watson did for for Devin Booker and what happened in Phoenix. And he hasn't had another chance as yet. So um, I, I, I'd love to see Griff get a shot. I, I just hope that he, he, he gets it at the right spot. So that just just, just my thoughts. But is he a head coach? <laughs> That, that there's not even an answer to that question. Absolutely.
0: Well, I actually thought he was going to get a job last year, to be perfectly frank. I remember talking to you about that yeah. on, on on our show. I, I really thought that you know with, there were rumblings about it. Uh, there was some chatter about it. And then the dust settles. And, and, and some coaches um, that perhaps didn't have the resume that Adrian Griffin does and did um, got head coaching jobs ahead of him. And I was, so I was a little bit surprised. So it, it does not surprise me uh, that here he is a year later being mentioned for... Uh, potentially the Lakers job. Mark Jackson in the mix uh, for that one as well. Terry Stotts, according to reports, uh, a potential candidate as well. So we'll talk to Dan Wojcik again from the LA Times later on in the show uh, about all this and where he thinks ultimately things might land for the Lakers and their pursuit of a head coach. I mentioned off the top yesterday, uh, the uh, that would be Friday, the 76ers getting the victory over the Heat. Kyle Lowry going scoreless for Miami in his return to the lineup. And Joel Embiid. Uh, the Masked Man was back, a 20-point victory for the Sixers, and a big win for Dallas as well. So 2-1 in those series with the Suns leading and the Heat leading. Uh, and then today, with both of the series 1-1, the Saturday games with Boston-Milwaukee, Memphis-Golden State, a chance for one of those squads to go up 2-1 in each of those as well. And and I, I don't know where you wanted to go with this, Jonesy. Alvin Williams is going to join us in a couple of minutes, and we'll, we'll touch on a number of things with Al. But the one thing that has stood out for me so far in this second round is as much as all of the matchups are intriguing. I am probably like a lot of people, and I have been all season, drinking the Kool Aid on John Morant and the Grizz. And I would love to see Golden State get through. Because I just think it's a cool story if they come from the ashes and rise again after Clay Thompson and after Kevin Durant's departure and his injury as well and the ups and downs of Steph Curry in, in, in terms of injuries and, and Draymond Green as well and the emergence of Poole and the depth of that team and everything else. I would love to see them get back. But, man, that series intrigues me more than any of the others simply because of Ja Morant and his explosiveness and his ability to just, like, impact a game in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah. Um, you know what? There's a part of me that still thinks, I mean, it's 1-1 now. Golden State stole the first one. Second one was very close. There's a part of me that thinks, uh, maybe I'm old fashioned, um, the experience factor may help Golden State get through this. Although, you know, nobody has experience till they do something. And, mm-hmm. you know, Memphis might just be might just be there and we talk about it all the time it's it's never linear in terms of your your growth and your your advancement in the nba playoffs but um with it one one and going back to the chase center i think if golden state wins a two at home and they come out three one i i you know i i not i don't think they'd ever break the spirit of the grizzlies but i just think experience wins out there so it'll be interesting to see what happens uh you know especially in game three here if memphis can take home court advantage back
0: all right let's bring into the conversation uh, Sportsnet television analyst on our raptors broadcast of course longtime toronto raptor and former coach as well uh friend of the show he joins us pretty much every show especially now that we've gone weekly alvin williams al thanks for the time as always
2: what's up guys how are you
0: doing well Al. doing well hey We're let good, me al. ask you, this. What's what's you guys going, man, man? Yeah, I know. I know. We miss I you know. too. And like, it's what we. Like, I, I got to plan another road trip to Philly just to see you. I guess, Otherwise, I'm not going to see you for like four <laughs> or five months.
2: No, I'll be there in Toronto, man. I'm gonna come back.
0: Nice, nice, awesome, hey, Al, awesome. Is the is the mentality different for you um, as, as you know compared to what it was as a player? Like, like when when things are done now, do you still step away and kind of just hit the reset button and reconnect with family and do other things, or are you still a fan at heart and watching games on the regular?
2: I'm watching. This is the time to watch the games. You know, this is the most interesting time for me. You know, watching, you know, the intensity and you know, the best teams are playing, the better players. So, this is a time where where you really lock in, and I enjoy it. I enjoy. It. And once again, when you get a chance to see the different matchups and 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 the the, the adjustments and just you know the time of the day, even seeing early games, it's, it's a good it's a good day. So. So I've always uh, tuned into the playoff and the postseason games.
1: Al, the fan in you, um, what did you think of last night's game, Philly and uh, Philadelphia and Miami? I, I was kind of surprised. I mean, seventy-nine points for the Heat. What? What is that? like that? Was that was a throwback? That game was a like score-wise, was a <laughs> throwback to something right out of nineteen eighty-five. Like, and and. You know, for all the slag that Philadelphia has caught, particularly James Harden and, and Doc Rivers, I mean, everybody's held serve. The series is right where everybody probably thought it would be at 2-1. And uh, unless unless Miami's able to find some scoring, I mean, it, it could come down to a two out of three. Just your thoughts on, on the win last night for Philly.
2: No, it was a big win. You know, def- a desperate win. They need it. Joel and B coming back, um, and as you mentioned, it was a defensive game, and that's what it's about in the playoffs. These two teams, you know, they're going to have to lock in, and 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 the Sixers being back home, they did a great job locking in. You know, the, the, the Heat didn't shoot the ball well, and Jimmy Butler had a had a good game, but other than that, they pretty much kept kept everyone in check. And just being back, and that just goes to show once again, every game is different. You can look. At one game, and it looks like, you know, this team, this, this is going to be a sweep. And then a story will change. Joel B comes back, right? And then, you know, Kyle Lowry goes out, but he comes back. He's not as effective as, you know, the Heat would like him to be, you know, with that hamstring injury. So you just never know. And as you mentioned, everyone's doing exactly what they need to do. They're, they're holding serve on their home court. So it, it was a game. And I, and I believe, I always believe this, like defensively, these are the times you win these games. If you can hold a team below their scoring average and and you hold them to a point total, you're going to give yourself a chance to win. And when you give yourself a chance to win, that's when you have your superstars step up. You have your superstars step up and close the game out. And I think the Sixers did a really good job of that, first of all, on the defensive end.
1: Al, I'm going to follow up with this. A lot of people have been giving Doc Rivers slack. like It's like he can't do anything right, yet... (laughs) <laughs> he won a first-round series, and he's 2-1 in this series. His best players missed two games. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's working with a James Harden who is not the James Harden that they thought they were getting. Uh, he's lost shooting, in, in, in you know, in terms of Seth Curry. Uh, he lost Drummond in terms of another big, like, to me, he's getting a lot of flack, and, and, and people are, like, they act like this guy can't coach he's third on the all-time wins list for for coaches in the playoffs. Like, like, what is it? Why is this perception out there? And everybody's just piling on him, yet his team's still alive, they're doing well, and things aren't nearly as bad as, as they, they think it should be or, or people are making it out to be. Well,
2: you know, it's, it's it's the narrative, and people follow the narrative, and whoever creates it, and it's, it's, it's easier to follow – the narrative than it is to create your own or really dive into it you know you've had coaches in the past whether it's popovich whether it's spolstra whether whoever it is they've had i mean you can you can probably go in their resumes and look at games that they lost and they should have won or situations or whatever the case may be but right now the narrative is doc rivers he gives up the 3-1 leads he, he does this he does that and people follow it and it's unfortunate that's what comes down to sports and unfortunate thing, people's jobs and livelihood, you know, depends on it a lot of times. And you wonder, where does yeah, this narrative yeah. create You have, you have, I mean, the facts are there, the numbers are there, but there's always a story behind it. There's always a reason for certain things. And for people to continuously to show disrespect to Doc Rivers as a coach. Now, I've never played for him, and I've never heard anyone, you know, that have played for him and had anything, you know, to say about him, but. He's a good coach. He's been successful. He's won a championship. As you mentioned, he's third on the all-time coaching list of wins. So it, I think that's just what people do. They follow the narrative. It's a copycat league that we know that, and that's just, that's just how we are as people. You know, We'll jump on the bandwagon and just, and just follow that narrative, whether it's good or bad.
0: Speaking with Alvin Williams. All right, Al, let me jump on that word right there, the narrative. What do you think the narrative will be when the dust settles on round two, like, who are we looking at, do you think? What's your gut telling you right now, conference finals, based on what you've seen over the first couple of games of each of these series? Man, it's tough,
2: man, because, once again, with the first game you look at, you throw up Milwaukee, we have, you know, the edge, and then Boston bounced right back. And now Boston's looking like that team that we, that we, that we's like, oh, shucks, this is the team that swept Brooklyn Nets. And people were Counting at Brooke, looking at Brooklyn to be that that dark horse because of the uncertainty, but they had the talent, but they get swept and by Boston. So Boston always looked like the favorite. Then Milwaukee came, so it's tough to me. It's tough. Then you have the Sixers without a Joel Embiid. Now he's back. Now can he get back? So there's so many questions. But to answer your question, I'm, I'm still go with Milwaukee because I just feel like Giannis is a guy that can dominate, and if Middleton can get back to some type of Get back to some action, I think that just makes that team much better. So I I like Milwaukee. And although on on the East and the Western Conference, I like, I I love Golden State, but they're running to some young, some young gorillas, man. And and they're not joking around, but I also love Phoenix. I love what Phoenix is doing. So (laughs) I don't really know on the West, but I'm going to go with Milwaukee on the East.
1: Yeah, you you know, Al. And I, I want to throw this at you too. Um, uh, Dallas finally got a win, but Luka had 35, 42, and like 35 in the first couple of games, and they were down 0 um, yep. 2. Jokic put up crazy numbers, and they got one game in the playoffs. And to me, I'm going to go back to a word that you used. The narrative around numbers seems to be outweighing and overplaying the bottom line which is winning like Chris Paul yep. not missing a shot in a game and 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 scoring 14 points in the fourth quarter and i you talk about Milwaukee to me Giannis is the MVP like if Jokic is the MVP why is he on the bench at the end of the game and social media is giving him you know props for oh he's calling out the play the lob well if you were any good you'd be in the game the coach wouldn't be taking <laughs> the MVP out of the game for defensive purposes right so Right. Like, I, like I would give Embiid part of that credit as an MVP, but I think voter fatigue. We overlook Giannis as as a two way player and a guy that leads his team to wins without any drama or any of that. And I'm with you, Al. I I think Milwaukee. They they got a taste of it last year winning. It's like, oh no, we we cracked the code now.
2: Yeah, no, they they definitely cracked the code. And I, and I look at their leader, their leader is forever hungry. Like he, he's a guy that that wants more. And I I take when when I look at players and they take that next step and, and they like you mentioned they, they had a taste of it. They had a taste of success. I believe that that Giannis is that type of player that's greedy and he wants more. And he wants more and more and I just believe he he's a good leader with that team and they and they believe. So it's just one of those things where Milwaukee has the best player, best two-way player, and they have a very good supporting staff when they're all on, when they're playing on all cylinders. So that's why I like Milwaukee. But you're right, the narrative, people look at numbers and they do all these things and they, they give Luka a lot of credit which he's a great player. But at the end of the day, you, have, you need your teammates. You need your others. You need the other guys to step up. Once again, you look at the Sixers. They won that game. Joel Embiid didn't have a monster game. James Harden didn't, but Maxie did. And De- Danny Green did. So those are the people that are stepping up. And then even when the Ra- against the Raptors series, you saw Tobias Harris having big games on the offensive side and defensive side. So it's always about those others. The superstars are going to be the superstars, but those others and those superstars have to empower the others and get them the opportunity to take advantage of those situations as well. So you're right when it comes to the personnel and certain personnel and the narrative behind what we expect from them and how they actually perform and how it compares to the bottom line.
0: Al, I was going to let you go here, but let me let me take that then and just piggyback on when we go back to the Raptors in round one. Do you think I don't know if it was the number one factor but but maybe it was was that ultimately what did Toronto in not having enough of the others? they didn't have enough kind of other people step up and kind of pull the rope in the right direction
2: No, I mean you know do you, you look at the Raptors the thing that hurt the Raptors was Scotty. Scotty Barnes' injury. I mean, when when Scotty went out in that first in that first uh, game, it just shaped, changed the complexion of the team's makeup. You know, the ability to switch, the ability to change up lineups, and I think that really impacted the Raptors offensively and defensively. And once he started getting back into rhythm, you saw how dangerous that team could be. And I, I believe that injury, and then you have Fred getting hurt. So I believe just the injuries just shifted. How the Raptors intended to play, and that that was it. I think they had enough. I know they had enough to beat the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers um, across the across the board. But I think those injuries changed how Nick Nurse had to adjust the lineups and just their approach. And once again, once Scotty came back, you saw the difference. You saw it was a huge difference defensively, activity wise, and then his ability to handle the ball at his position. So I, I think that was the that was the downfall when Scotty got hurt.
0: Al, we appreciate the time, as always, man. We'll be bugging you again next week. Enjoy uh, enjoy the uh, the postseason, I guess, man. All the best.
2: You're not bugging me at all, man. All I right, enjoy Al. it. I want you to call, call me anytime.
0: <laughs> all right. Thanks, Al. There is Alvin Williams, Raptors broadcaster, color analyst on uh, Sportsnet, and, of course, longtime Toronto Raptor player and coach, one of the all-time greats, one of the all-time fan favorites as well. Always love chatting with Al. And uh, we will be trying to hook up with them each week here on Smith & Jones. We're going to keep this show rolling right until the end of the NBA postseason. Maybe right into the, the draft or July 1st free agency, whatever it is, we'll be sticking with you. So keep it tuned right here. And if you're not listening live, you can always find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Google, you know, Apple, Spotify, wherever it may be. Download, rate, and review. Later on in the show, we will shift our attention from the NBA uh, to the Canadian national team, both the men and women. And we'll look at the junior and the senior programs uh, with a big event coming up this summer for Canada basketball in the first week of July and other things, perhaps we call it a tease folks, other things that Canada basketball may have ready to announce as well, a very special uh, big week, uh, week and a half, perhaps coming up for Canada basketball this summer. Uh, so we'll dive into that a little bit later on with Michael Bartlett. We're uh, going to chat with Dan Wakey from the LA times in a couple of moments here to discuss what the Lakers may do in the offseason. Lots of rumblings about who their next head coach may be. And, Jones, I wonder how much roster change there might be with the Lakers as well. I don't know if they've got a whole lot of wiggle room to do much unless they can find a dance partner that's going to take on a big-time contract, i.e. Russell Westbrook. But would they move on from him already, or do they try and go at it again with the three-headed monster of Westbrook, and Anthony Davis, and of course, LeBron James. It's going to be very interesting as it seems to always be good or bad when it comes to LA.
1: Uh, (laughs) The Lakers are, everybody's watching E Everybody's watching. That's all I can say about them. They're, they're one of the, you know, the charter franchises. They're one of the main franchises in the, Uh, in the NBA and and everybody's watching and the you know the eye is always on them And, and even more so right now with the whole LeBron James saga he's there they're not winning he's looking to add to his legacy the Lakers are about championships they've gotten rid of the coach they're hamstrung as you said with the salary cap I think they've got I think I saw where they got eight players under contract and they're already at like at 145 million or something <laughs> like that. 107 players, 140. Like it's crazy. I, I mean, the next signing announced will be Eric Smith to uh, a, a league minimum, you know, like I'm good to go, man or whatever it is. And I'm sure he'll take, I'm sure he'll take it and sit on the towel, wave his bench and <laughs> might even be mistaken for Austin Reeves at times. <laughs>
0: Or Alex Caruso with my bald spot not getting any smaller. <laughs> hey, we lost out on Caruso, but we got Smith two years later. And, and I love the fact, Jonesy, that you had this slip there. You said, sit on his towel and wave the bench. Man, if I could only lift the bench, I'd be I'd be in good shape. I'm got to get ready for, for pool season here. I'd wave that towel like a madman. You want to pay me? I don't even I don't even need the league average. Give me the league minimum, and I'll do that. No problem. No problem. I'll sit there and just sharpen my elbows. Get ready for those those couple of times I might get into the game for 20 seconds. Go out there, throw an elbow. Probably get my butt whooped, and then go sit back down and wave that towel. Sounds like a sounds like a life to me, Jonesy. Yeah, I'm good to go for that um joining us on the line right now always good exactly always good to go on the line right now from the la times is dan woikey dan how you doing today guys how are you doing all right doing all right you know it's it's i'd rather be working still rather be calling games but of course the raptors bowing out and now they join the lakers on the golf course and who is going to replace my man frank vogel dan that's what i gotta ask you right off the bat where are we looking here Like, like Who's the lead candidate? Because my guy, Frank, he got done dirty. <laughs>
3: he did, actually, at the end. It was, uh, I will say this, uh, Eric. I think um, it is a fairly open process right now. Um, you, you know, it's hard to really handicap a frontrunner, especially considering that it doesn't really feel like all the candidates are done working. You know, I mean, I think Doc Rivers is a name that's come up as somebody who is a potential fit. Um, you know, at least in the short term, familiar obviously with Los Angeles and stuff like that. But, you know, he just won a game three. And if he wins a game four and then maybe a game five, like, who knows, right? And, and so it, it's a really interesting kind of decision that they have to make. Um, you know, I think they look at their roster. They look obviously at the core pieces of it in LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and they view it as a very much a, you know, plug and play, like let's get somebody who we can win with immediately, um, but getting that guy right, it, it, it's hard because Eric, you know, you, you, we mentioned Frank Vogel, and, and you and I have joked about him a lot. Right. So when they hired Frank Vogel, he's functionally their third choice. Right. Um, last year, like they, they or whenever 2019, you know, they go, they go down the road with Monty Williams and he takes the Phoenix show I'm kind of surprisingly. Uh, the next step is Tyron Lue and they can't get the money right. They can't get the, the kind of the staff and stuff, right. They can't get the years, right. And so after all of that, they, they, they land on Frank Vogel and um, nobody was like super enthused about it. Like nice guy, good coach, but it wasn't like, oh my God, they've hired, you know, uh, Bill Sharman or anything like that. But the next thing you know, you know, a year in, he, he was the perfect guy to navigate them through that, that awful first season where between, you know, getting stuck in China and, and, the, and Kobe Bryant's death and the pandemic and the bubble like Vogel's like level-headedness and and stuff like that was perfect for that team. And then they win a title. So great hire in the moment, but how great of a hire was it? If you're replacing them three years later, it's, it's a very tricky situation. And and so it's really hard to kind of say, who's it going to be? We just, all we know is the guys they've talked to so far. And it's even out of those four, it's not like any of those guys feel like a sure thing.
1: You know, it's interesting, Dan, we were talking before you came on, um, Adrian Griffin, one of the names that yeah. you know, Lakers seemingly reportedly have had interest in, and I mean, we Eric and I both know uh, from our experience with him in Toronto, will be is going to be a terrific head coach. I mean, he's had experience with Thibodeau and Billy Donovan, and like he's he's uh, Nick Nurse. He's been around yep. the block. He understands this, but I, I, I'm I'm fearful for him if he gets the job because one. Dealing with LeBron is not easy, and two, the pressures and expectations in LA, and as we were talking about, it's not like that roster has any flexibility. What kind of a guy do you think they're yeah. looking for? Because I, 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 I love Adrian Griffin. I'm just, I'm fearful. I don't think it'd be a great, a great job yeah. for him. Although I'm sure he would do a good job, but would it be up to their standards?
3: I mean, Josie, that's. I mean, you kind of that's the nail on the head, right there, right? Is sort of. You know, on one hand, you look at a guy like Adrian Griffin or Darvin Ham, or whatever whatever assistant that, that they're that they're trying to track down, you know, and they're looking at it like, you know, you look at the success Taylor Jenkins has had as a first-time head coach. This year, you look, I mean, very specifically at the success Ime Odoka has had in Boston, right? And, and you see a first-time head coach who, obviously, that team took a little while to get its legs underneath it, but... But, you know, since then it's been terrific. Um, you look at Willie Green in New Orleans and you say, okay, well, do we want to do that? Um, you know, and that may be the right thing to do for the Lakers. Um, you know, when you view the organization in sort of a three to five year window, it might be the right kind of kind of coach to hire. Um, but, but because you have LeBron James at 37, soon to be 38, I believe this, this upcoming season years old, um, you know, you, there's no time to waste either. Right. So, Uh, you're right. Like that job comes with very immediate pressure. Uh, You know, it's a very win now situation. So, you know, do, do you feel like someone like, you know, Mark Jackson, who's coached a lot of NBA games, Terry Stotts, who has coached a lot of NBA games, you know, I mentioned Doc Rivers, is it Scott Brooks? Is it Dave Yeager? Is it, is it some, some former NBA head coach who you at least know knows what it takes to sit in that seat? You know what I mean? Like you're sure of it because he's done it. Or, or 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 do you do you look for someone with maybe a little more upside? It's a very it's a very difficult decision. I, I think I would actually, and under the circumstances, tend to look more at the Adrian Griffin's of the world uh, the Arvin Hands of the world because I don't feel like the Lakers are necessarily that close. Like it does feel like they're going to need um, a pretty significant elevation. So maybe I'd be more inclined to, to take a little bit of a gamble to take. Um, maybe somebody who's a little more high upside, uh, then maybe kind of, you know, I hate the word retread, but like, you know, like sort of the general, like retread candidates who, you know, the, the names you hear Steve Clifford, you know, for instance, Steve Clifford's a, great, a fantastic defensive coach does Steve Clifford, um, move, move your needle. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know.
0: Hey, Dan, let me ask you, and I don't know, I, I'm, I'm guilty of being like the rumor mill guy or, or creating the fantasies and okay. the, the conspiracies here, all right? How much stock or how much say will LeBron James potentially have in the hire? Do they need his stamp of approval? And if you're the Lakers, do you have an eye towards, I don't know, what's the window here on LeBron James? Not only with his age, he doesn't appear to be slowing down too much. He's still putting up gaudy numbers and still running like a freight train, but he's also made overtures about the fact that, hey, hopefully his kid's in the league in the next couple of years, and he's finishing his career yeah. with his kid. So maybe he's not a Laker in a couple of years if his kid's not in L.A. So how much does that factor into immediate, let alone short and long-term plans for what the Lakers want to do?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's something you consider, right? I Look, I don't think LeBron James is making the hype. I, I just don't believe that. Um, I think, you know, he had an opportunity, or, or I shouldn't say he had an opportunity. I mean, like, I don't think Frank Vogel would have been LeBron James's first choice three years ago. Right? You know, I think he probably, um, as any organization with a star would do, um, you know, if, you, if you're, for some reason, if, if you have to replace Nick tomorrow, uh, you know, Masai Ujiri is probably asking Pascal Siakam what he thinks. You're probably asking the stakeholders in your franchise how they feel about it. Now, look, LeBron's Bronze juice in these situations is pretty unmatched, but but it's someone that I think you would listen to, and I think um, you know to, to to the conspiracy point. Like I don't think he is by no means has a final say. I don't think I, I think for for one, I think he'd want to keep his hands free of the situation as much as possible. Right? you you if you, if you take on final say, you ultimately take on the blame, and you don't want that in this situation because it could go wrong. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, like, who knows about what his long-term stake is in the organization. It's, it's, it's hard to say. He's maintained flexibility. They'll have a chance later this summer to sign him to an extension. Who knows if he does it? I, I think it's, uh, you, you know, it's a voice. It's an important voice. It can't be the only voice. I don't think it will be either.
0: Dan, we appreciate the time and the insight mm-hmm. as always, man. I'm sure we'll be checking in again at some point because there's always news in L.A. Uh, hope you're doing well and look forward to seeing you right. one of these days.
3: Eric, when Frank Vogel coaches the Toronto Raptors to an NBA championship in 2029, I, I cannot wait to be there for the parade when you, when you laud him and you tell him what a great coach he is, how he's Phil Jackson incarnate. I cannot wait to be there.
0: All right, Dan. My passport is ready.
3: I've already renewed it. My passport has hey, already that, been
0: renewed. Good, good. If that happens, you can stay at my Casa house. You don't even have to stay at a hotel. You know, you got You gotta, You got got a room at Casa Smith. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. can't
3: wait. All right,
0: guys, be good. There is Dan Wojcicki from the right, Times. We will step aside, Jonesy, come back with the president of Basketball Canada Basketball, uh, Mike Bartlett, up next on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Thanks again to Alvin Williams and Dan Wojcicki for joining us to start the show. And uh, we flip our attention from the NBA to the Canadian National Program. But, hey, that still has impact from the NBA as well. Uh, we'll see if maybe we've got a few suiting up for Canada this summer with – uh, some important games coming and an important event coming uh, to the country and to this listener area. I mean, I know we've got listeners across the country and around the world, but a good chunk of them listening in the GTA in southern Ontario and, uh, um, well, at least one, maybe more, events coming to this area this summer. And joining us on the line right now, President of Canada Basketball, Mike Bartlett. Mike, thanks for the time today.
4: E, great to hear from you. How you doing?
0: Doing well. Jonesy, doing well. Jonesy, I'll let you Hello. jump in. You, you talk to yeah. the boss, Jonesy.
1: Yeah the boss man's here and and, and and Michael, like I don't know about you know the rest of the basketball community, but I get excited and get all gassed up about this kind of stuff. and I'm looking at Global Jam, and I, I, want, I want you to tell our listeners one where the idea came from, and I, and two, what to expect. I know from your time at MLSE and being around the NBA, uh, you know, the NHL, things like that, you, you know what a big party looks like. Um, you know fan fest around the NBA and when we had the all-star game here I know you know what those things look like. So what can we expect with globe where did the idea come from and what can we expect? Never mind the tournament because we'll get to the, the tournament yeah. the actual games in a minute but but from another from from the outside standpoint.
4: Yeah, a great great point John you know the, the reality is um, the most successful, sporting leagues, franchises, and in this country, NSOs, national sporting organizations, are the ones that have event properties that uh, showcase their talent uh, and give their fans unique opportunities to get together on Canadian soil and, and cheer for their teams and cheer for their favorite athletes and, quite frankly, give our athletes a chance to win on Canadian soil. So the idea has been percolating around Canada basketball for you know, a number of years. The reality is for our organization to be more successful. And that means successful from a talent development standpoint, successful from a financial standpoint, and eventually successful, um, you know, on the court as well. We need more events in Canada. And there's two ways to get that. Either bid to host a, a FIBA event and you're writing a big check for that right. Uh, and, you know, more often than not, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the, the federations, um, you know, have to view that as an investment to host a FIBA event rather than an opportunity to kind of grow your your base and grow your financial position. Or you create your own event properties. You know, you look at uh, the Canadian Open in golf. You look at the World Junior Hockey uh, Tournament and how often it plays through Canada. You look at Rogers Cup, or I guess it's the National Bank Cup presented by Rogers. Either way, Tennis Canada's done a great job with creating event properties that are theirs, uh, and that also put their athletes and the best in the world in a place to play in Canada and show off in Canada. So we're doing that, and Global Jam is a step in that direction. But, you know, it's one thing just to host a tournament, and again, uh, you're right, Jonesy and and E, like we're borrowing a few pages out of the NBA book. There's the all-star game and then there's the all-star weekend everybody talks about the weekend no offense to the game but everybody mm-hmm. talks about the weekend so it's you know back in 90 or in uh 2016 when we hosted it in toronto you know we erected that massive tent you know we did all these events around the community we did things that the nba didn't really ask of its host but we did them anyway because we turned it into a spectacle for toronto and You know, Jurassic Park, again, another spectacle that created a a best practice in the NBA. And we're going to steal from some of those or borrow, I'll say, from some of those best practices and insert them into Global Jam. And over time, it's tough to do it with a first-year event. People are still not quite sure what this is going to be, and we get that. But after year one... Uh, I think what we'll do is make a great impression on them and then everybody's going to be asking, you know, where's the jam next year? How do I get a part of it? How do I get, uh, you know, how do I get my tickets? How do I how do I get there and cheer on Canada? So we're excited about this.
0: So, Michael, we've chatted with you about this before, but for people that are hearing it for the first time, maybe you can tell people exactly what it is, at least for year one. And you said it might change in year two and going forward as it gets bigger and more popular, et cetera. But what can people expect? It's July 5th to the 10th. There are, you know, games involved for both the men and the women, but at the same time, as you said, it's events surrounding the almost week-long festivities. So, what can people expect?
4: So it's. Uh, thank you for that that reminder. I do need to educate uh, sometimes before I go into the, the what it will will become. But, you know, it's an under-23 uh, international basketball showcase. So, under-23 age group is becoming. Uh, more focus around the world as federations have more talent in their pipeline. We're seeing it in our own system. Uh, Young stars aren't necessarily getting a chance to make their senior team. And we need to to give them a chance to represent their country and compete uh, on their development path towards eventually, you know, being on the senior team. So we are hosting on the men's side, Canada, U S Italy and Brazil. And on the women's side, Canada, U S France and Belgium, all Top-ranked programs, all with thriving under twenty-three uh, strategies, and so the tournament itself, from the fifth to the tenth, is going to be an absolute best-on-best best international showcase, and it's a great opportunity for our athletes, many of whom you know are, are in the NCAA and soon to be draft picks in the WNBA and NBA, uh, to get a home court advantage, uh, play in front of their family and friends, and quite frankly, we expect to field the strongest roster, um, you know, and we expect to win. That's, that's something that we're, we're building towards. Uh, and then from a festival standpoint, we're going to take over, and, and that's taking place uh, at Mattamy uh, Athletic Center. So the 5th to the 10th. There'll be four games a day for the round robin for, uh, on the 5th, 6th, and 7th. We'll have an off day on the 8th for the teams to kind of reset and train take a little breather, and then we're into semifinal Saturday and Championship Sunday uh, with the men's and women's event uh, both taking place, Championship uh, Sunday back-to-back. And all of those Canadian games uh, that are going to be taking place every night, the women's team and the men's team will play in the round-robin every night and again in the semis and ideally in the finals as well. All those games will be broadcast live on Sportsnet, our our amazingly broadcast partner. So that's uh, again, a, a first for us to be able to build an event that the all of Canada can tune in and see uh, as really a made-for-television uh, basketball tournament. Around that, though, we're taking over Young and Dundas Square. We're we're building a you know just a are starting to build towards like what we want to be a thriving basketball, annual basketball festival. Um, You know, we're going to host our three X three national championships. So the provinces are all going to send teams, men's and women's teams to compete, to become the three X three national champion, the winning team from those brackets will get opportunities to play in FIBA competitions down the line. Um, you know, representing Canada. So this is a great opportunity for us to not just have this five-on-five tournament happening inside the arena at Madame Athletic Center, but, you know, take over a little footprint in Toronto. Uh, we've also got a community day on uh, July 4th, where we're going to take some of our teams and our athletes and go do community program, la, like an NBA Cares Day, or what the Raptors and MLC Foundation have done for decades, and, and make sure that we're activating, um, you know, quite frankly, life-changing experiences memories for youth across the city as we're also bringing all these international teams to town
1: Uh, it sounds great michael Uh, look it's important um and i've always said this and I've, i've put this out there and anybody wants to hold me to it hold me to it there's only one country that we should be trailing or should be beating us consistently and those are our neighbors to the south and we're gaining ground on them how important was it to have the usa committed so it's kind of like the old Herb Brooks strategy. You can't, in the Olympics, you can't beat the Russians the first time you see them. You need to get used to them and, and and playing them and seeing them. And I think our kids are getting used to that. And how important was it to have the USA committed to both of these tournaments on the men's and the women's side too?
4: Yeah, first call we made. Uh, certainly first call we made. And, um, you know, there's two ways you can approach a start-up uh, event like this. Uh, you can... <laughs> You can invite um, some talent that you know you can walk over, or you can invite some talent that you know is going to give you great competition and memorable experiences for your athletes and are going to test your program. And that's what we've done. It's not just the U S you know, Italy, France, Belgium, uh, Brazil, all have world-class youth development programs. So we're in for it. And uh, that's also something on the other side of it. When we perform the way that we expect, we can be proud of what we've accomplished, but you know, I've, I've said a few times, uh, you know, this 2022 Global Jam roster on the men's and, and women's side for Canada could very well make up the bulk of our 2028 Olympics roster in Los Angeles. So we might as well learn how to beat the U.S. now because we want to walk into L.A. in 2028 and beat them then, too. So this is, again, part of the development cycle that
3: we're uh, that we're investing in.
0: Hey, Michael, um, seeing as you brought it up, and we're talking to Michael Bartlett, president of Canada Basketball, um, I don't know if anything's been decided or not yet, but when I last, not that I don't keep a keen eye uh, at other times of the year, but when I last was really focused on Canada Basketball, it was when I was calling games uh, more than two months ago now during uh, one of the qualification windows. And if I'm not mistaken, those two games were supposed to be played in Canada, but because of COVID and, and various restrictions and whatnot, uh those games did not take part in this country and they were you know down south in santo domingo um there were some rumblings about perhaps then the next window which is this summer perhaps canada would be afforded the chance to host games again is there any update or anything you can say to that or are we still kind of waiting to find out what might happen
4: well, can I keep it between the three of us?
0: <laughs> uh, well, I'd like uh, to say nobody's listening, but that wouldn't yeah, be good yeah. for us. So, <laughs> Yeah, no,
4: exactly right. No, here, here's the reality, Ian. and we're, we're set to make an announcement um, the next week or two officially on location. But uh, we are going to have an opportunity at the very, very early part in July to host one game in Canada. And again, uh, once we get through, we've automatically qualified for the next um, the next pool. So there'll be another home game, a home and away hosting opportunity in August. Um, once we merge our pool with the the Central America pool, which will involve uh, playing probably you know Argentina, Venezuela, Panama, or or Chile. So we likely um, will get a chance to host either Dominican Republic or. Uh, U.S. Virgin Islands here at home at the very, very early part of July. It sounds like, and you know, it's a bit of a, a moving target, it sounds like we'll go on the road for one of those games and host one at home. And uh, we've got some big plans to uh, to announce a pretty a pretty fun way to host, um, you know, I'll say that very early part of July uh, here in Canada, likely in the GTA. And, and we're just working through the venue details right now. But our NBA Summer core roster and and some of the the FIBA specialists that uh, we've been building our program around, recognizing what it takes to win in FIBA ball, they'll all be part of that roster through the summer, and we're excited to announce that soon too. Mm, uh,
1: that's great, Michael. I know we're we're running up against the clock. Um, uh, it, Canada basketball, and I, I know since I've been part of the part of the inner works, there seems to be a, a real revival here going on, and a real. Uh, effort to highlight the program Um, what else can people look forward to
4: well i i articulated it simply as as this more basketball here in canada um you know whether that be Mm. more games you know we've got more opportunity with qualifiers to host we've obviously uh launched global jam that will continue you know that will eventually move around this country i think the first few years will be in toronto uh, just to get its footing and we'll move it around the country our training camps are going to become more um let's say community focused as well when we're doing a a senior men's or women's training camp uh, in town we intend to engage uh, with community programs with uh, corporate brands you know with media so that we can actually prove the fact like canada basketball for the most part is it's a 12-month business. It's a twelve month program. We've got games happening. We got training mm. camps happening. We got age group teams. You know, I, I laughed. Like I, I left Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment what, you know, was a effectively a sixteen company, and I thought I was going to a one-team company, right? Everybody has the same jersey. There's there's 15 teams, 16 teams in Canada basketball, our age group teams, our development teams, you know, our, our youth academy, and then all the way up to our senior and elite programs. So we will have a chance to be always playing and always on and, and showcasing what the development pipeline looks like for this country. We will give the hardcore hoop fan a reason to really pay attention. Um, and I think the avid and and casual Hoop fan is going to recognize that when they want ball, they can come and and plug into to to Canada basketball stories and content, Sportsnet's featuring a ton of it. So many of our games are now on television. We're going to give people a 12-month opportunity to be proud about basketball in Canada, and uh, that's something I'm very proud of as well.
0: Hey, Michael, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us and look forward to chatting again soon. All the best. Pleasure, John. Have a great Saturday. Thanks, there Michael. Is Michael Bartlett, president of Canada Basketball, and we're getting set to wrap things up. You can hear the music going on in the background, and uh, I guess some breaking news there, as it sounds like Canada will indeed be hosting at least one game this summer in the next qualification window. That's the senior men's national team, so great news there, and uh, hopefully, Jonesy, we can be a part of it in some way, shape, or form with Global Jam as well, coming up July 5th to the 10th. Uh, thanks to Michael Bartlett for joining us, Alvin Williams, and Dan Wojcicki. Thanks to Austin Mackey, Derek Brandeo, and Tom Young. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get Smith & Jones, wherever you get your podcast, Please download, rate, and review. Have a good one, folks.